Welcome to a night of total terror. <laughs> when was the last time you were scared out of your wits? Welcome back to another episode of It Came From Queens. Happy 2023, everybody. It's your host, Benjamin Falbo. And wanted to start off the year strong with a big guest right out of the gate. And holy shit, do we have a big one today. Um, The past year and change, uh, the internet horror community has been rocked, torn asunder, flipped on its head by a singular creation that seems to be breaking all the rules in all the best ways. It's known as the Mandela Catalog, a fascinating entry into the analog horror subgenre. And with me today, and I can't believe this, is its creator, its maestro, the brains, the man behind the curtain himself, Alex Kister. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for coming on, brother. Good to have you. So my first my first question right out of the gate is, how you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? solid can't complain a little up and down but uh my second question is a little more is a little more loaded it's a controversial question and you know if we're gonna be talking back and forth for an hour i feel like we have to you know establish a certain level of trust so this is a two-part question part one are you an alternate uh i don't think so my follow-up to that question are you a fucking liar yes (laughs) okay Okay, I just wanted to see where we're at with that, so we will see if this uh, broadcast cuts out at any point. Uh, we'll uh, s- send people to my location, so uh, we'll just uh, keep that. We'll keep that. Uh, keep an eye on that for now. But now we'll get into the actual meat and potatoes of the whole thing. So, uh, a general question I wanted to start with, especially n- not just in regards to the Mandela catalog, because I have a whole series of questions for that alone. But in general. Tell me about your creative influences, how you got started, like your main field of choice. Is it art in general, filmmaking, just video editing, audio editing? What was the catalyst that launched you into this very specific niche? So I started out with very extremely little to no experience with video editing or any knowledge about film at all. Um, In fact, before I was like while I was making like the first video, I was completely focused on music. And that was what I was going to school for at the time. Um, but I, I just decided on a whim one day because other analog horror series were popping up that I was really enjoying that I just wanted to kind of have a go at it with some pretty, very, just very little editing experience, but I just tried to go for it anyways. And it all just started from there. I, I, just started to make these short videos on my phone. And then it just very quickly started to explode into something so much more that I never expected. Where does horror enter into it for you though? Um, I've always been a horror fan uh, ever since like elementary school. Um, that was always something, even though music was kind of like my main focus in life for the past eight years before all of this, 
like horror was always something on the side that I could just go in and, and enjoy and kind of like escape the reality of everything else of I it's just something that has always kind of sat in my mind and I guess I just always had all of these horror related ideas built up over the years that analog horror kind of gave me the chance to portray I suppose let's uh let's dig a little more deep into that what ideas in general like what about analog horror specifically allowed you to uh, bring these ideas to life if that makes sense um i think that if if before analog horror kind of came about and i was um familiar with it um i was always most interested in found footage as a whole um i just didn't know how to kind of do it in a way that didn't seem as amateurish so the way that analog horror was at the time, I kind of was able to get away with doing it all on an extremely low budget um, and some pretty not phenomenal editing, but I got the point across. I got, I kind of portrayed all that I needed to. And I think it was just the concept that people were interested in most, um, which I'm lucky enough to have had an audience grow from that because now I've had so much growth with my editing and storytelling and stuff like that. Nice. What would you say the biggest uh, improvement you've seen in your editing? Is there a specific uh, trick of the trade that you've picked up in your, in your let's cause you've been making the Mandela catalog for at least one and a half to two years now. Is there anything that you've picked up in that time that you're very proud of? Um, not necessarily anything in particular. It's kind of just a pretty wide range of just, basic editing knowledge being utilized to make something I, I think in other words I think I've been able to find out how to utilize low budgetness in order for things to appear a little more creepy in a sense that makes sense I feel like people when people are forced to work within constraints either financially or location wise I feel like it kind of brings out the best creativity from them in my personal opinion at least yeah I agree. Let's see here. So the series itself started off as a literal catalog of videos. That isn't just that isn't just a, a highfalutin name. It's actually very quite literal. This is a catalog of different vignettes and different videos. What was the process of making that initial uh that initial short that does the the genesis of the full volume one? What was that process like? And when did you realize this could potentially be like a, an episodic series so basically um it was right after i graduated high school in june of 2021 that over the course of that entire summer afterwards um i just that's kind of when my interest in analog horror kind of spiked and i just i i made a three to four sh short like two minute videos that I just kind of did for fun and just shared with the analog horror subreddit at the time, which was very small because at the time the genre was also very small um, in popularity. Um, but I, I only really posted it to there, maybe some friends and they would get about like 200 views if I was lucky. And, but it was only until the, the, the following fall when I actually went to college um, as a freshman that I decided, okay, I, I kind of have to put my focus into music again, since like, that's what I'm studying. I kind of have to put, put all of this YouTube stuff on hold. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm just going to 
put all of these videos into one that I've posted and then call it a uh, volume one. And because volume one wasn't just on its own, it was actually just a montage of the videos that I ended up just mashing together just for organization. Um, and just going on from then, I made some sort of like once that started picking up traction, I was like, okay, I should probably just like, I'll keep going. Um, and I did, I did some like side videos, like some shorter ones that weren't really classified as a volume, but I would, uh, but the big, but the big videos would always be labeled as a volume, even though they weren't montages like the first one originally was. At the time of this uh, recording that we currently are sitting at four official videos, that's volume one, volume two, volume three, 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 and very recently a, uh, a volume four. So that's where we're sitting at currently. Um, which, which, which installment would you say is your favorite so far? I got to say probably volume three, three, three. Sam. Wholeheartedly. Why, why? I have a feeling I know why, but why specifically that one? Um, even though I don't dislike any of the volumes, I do think that I'm most proud of volume three because I think that that's really where one, where I kind of found my creative vision, like, and like really put that into play. But also I just think that it, it was fun to go back to analog horror because volume two was not analog. That was more in like the digital age. So it was kind of fun to go back into the analog horror zone with all of the knowledge that I've kind of gained from the past few months before that and just kind of like put my own spin on it do some put like stick some cinematic elements in there and just kind of just get all weird with it and I think that that's just kind of what I like most about it because I kind of matched the the storytelling tactics of both volumes one and two in order to make that Nice. My personal favorite part of that episode is, of course, the confrontation in the police station with the uh, with the alternate that attacks the uh, attacks the cop. Um, my favorite aspect of that being the sequence where he essentially molds his own face into this just horrifying, just maw of just terror. And it's a it's a very simple effect, but it's very effective that effect in particular gained some praise and this is a perfect segue into my next question this is kind of an interesting one that effect in particular gained a lot of praise from nick nocturne on nightmind when he went through your series for one of his uh, explained videos now nick nocturne was very uh very kind towards your creation he was very um you know very very complimentary of the skill that you've showed at such a young age however he was very critical of the of his personal opinion of the the actual scariness of the first one or the first two volumes. Do you, how do you feel about criticisms like that, especially being a creator at this young age? Do those kind of criticisms hurt you? Do you see them as a catalyst to improve? Do you take them personally? How do you feel about those kind of things? I think it's kind of a combination of all of that. Um, what I remember when I, when in my earlier videos, like the, like the volume one and two days, that's when criticism was definitely very heavy because that's also when I was like getting popular and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, that, that definitely hurt a lot. And I had a lot of stress over that, but it, it did ultimately lead me to improve a lot, which I think I showed with volume three. I put so much effort into that more than I did with anything I did before beforehand. Um, 
and even it's definitely not as extreme as it used to be but i'll definitely still be getting a lot of criticism um from stuff that i tend to be more experimental with which i, I totally understand um it's not it's it's more of just personal taste at this point rather than like the old criticisms being mostly genuine constructive criticisms about the editing and stuff like that which i've kind of moved on because i know i've improved yeah it's very it's very evident to me and others especially with volume three especially with volume four how far you've come as a creator uh my next question is just give me a moment here my next question is, especially when it comes to the earlier installments, why the religious imagery? Did that does that have a do you have a personal stake in that kind of content? Is there is is there something specific? Obviously, like your the series, one of the great things about it is you can look at it and look at it in a very literal way, look at it in a very myopic kind of underneath the surface kind of way. You can analyze it, you can take it at face value. What what about that aspect of the story of that part of the visuals appeals to you? I think that. When I when I was first starting out, and my very, very first video before even volume one came out was right out of the gates, very religious. And that kind of came about because at the time I was kind of going through a like a religious existential crisis myself. So yeah, so I, I figured, okay, like while I'm making these videos, I think that that might be a good outlet because I definitely have a lot of feelings about this. And I think that might be a good way to kind of portray these feelings. Um, kind of like putting into perspective like what's the worst possible scenario that can come out of these like an alternate reality of these biblical figures and stuff like that um, and it kind of just easily worked its way into the story just by being mostly just a symbolic thing but also like the the, the main antagonist's um, origins like its roots kind of is shown from those representations of those biblical periods through the sampled cartoons that I used. Were those cartoons you were already aware of or did you have to go hunting for those? Uh, I was already aware of those. <laughs> um, obviously the analog horror community is becoming more and more saturated every day. And it feels like you kind of got on that bandwagon very early. Um, is As far as you're concerned, just from your perspective alone, what are some trends within the analog horror community? And I'll call it a community. What are some things within that community that you love to see? And what are some things that have been popping up that you're not so crazy about? I think the things that I am not crazy about is something that has always been a big thing ever since analog horror started getting even a sliver of popularity, which is just the same format of some kind of informational tape on a TV or a, or a, like an emergency broadcast, or it's usually just stuff like that, where it mostly tends to just be made up of text and images on a flat background with no real substance to it, which was fine like two years ago, because that's kind of just what it was at the time. But I, I and I'm absolutely guilty of that. But I think that as time kind of went on, and other series kind of started popping up and evolving on their own, like other than mine too. I think that I tend to like heavily favor the more unique, like heavy, heavily stylized um, looks on the world rather than just the, the same old 
text and images. I, I really tend to favor just the more like the more absurd surrealistic qualities of some of the other ones. You mentioned I mentioned, of course, the oversaturated nature of the of the market currently and, you know, making an make, as you said, making an effort to bust out of the, you know, established shackles in the established format. Um, are you aware of the Walton files? And what do you think of that? I am. And that is my absolutely my favorite. I, in fact, that's what that's why I even started. Really? Yes. This I didn't know, actually. This is interesting. Talk, <laughs> let's, talk, let's, let's, let's wrap about the Walton files for a second. I, I fucking love the Walton files. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was that was the bigger that was the, before Mandela Catalog kind of started to get popular on, I think like TikTok because like that's kind of where it kind of blew up initially. The one that came before that one was the Walton Files, and that kind of like that was kind of the thing before Mandela and what kind of people were comparing it to when it was first starting out. And the last episode of this series was published, like, I think a few months before my first episode. So I I just remember watching that and thinking like, okay, this is exactly kind of what I was just mentioning about the, my, how I like more stylized things. I I remember seeing that and, and thinking, okay, like, yeah, it's like Five Nights at Freddy's inspired, obviously which I was kind of like getting burnt out of at the time. But then well, we, it, all, it, we all were, bro. Yeah, but <laughs> it was like that, but it, it introduced so well, Alex, many would you, new... Alex, would you be implying that, that Five Nights at Freddy has gone on too long for its own good? <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately. But it was just, it was one of those things where it kind of, it, it breathed new life into the concept of haunted animatronics for me. Just, just based on the... I, I just think compared to the other series at the time that were kind of following the local 58 format, um, the, the way that it just combined each episode was a combination of different uh, perspectives on a situation just put into one video. And that, that I thought was really cool because I, I I'm just a big fan of that. And that, for, especially for my later videos, that was a huge inspiration for that. Um, I, I absolutely love the very surreal art style and like mixed media element of it. I'm a huge fan of that. Um, that. That dude knows how to drag out a scare, like in a good way. He knows how to really build up to it. And his sound design is, I don't use this word very often because it's very pretentious, but his sound design is immaculate. Oh like yeah. The, the way he uses certain, I, I call them VHS shivers. The way he uses that, kind of ambient sound to enhance certain scares is a genius honestly mm-hmm. right. you have a personal favorite moment from the series um i think from episode three when it shows the the death of susan woodings yeah that's... that was that's my favorite analog horror scene of all time honestly my favorite scene is from episode three as well it's the uh for me it's the uh phone conversation between uh felix and uh jack telling him to pick up Jack and Molly from the school event and then the eventual car ride. That whole sequence is just the most unsettling fucking thing. And yeah. I, I adore it so much. We it's, if you haven't seen, I, in my personal opinion, like it, it's you and Martin, the creator of that, who have really kind of the game, the game has been changed. And I feel like you guys are a big, are a big part of why, 
Um, as far as what would you say is an example, a key example of the Walton Files influencing the Mandala catalog directly? Are there any key, are there any Easter eggs? Um, well, there actually is an Easter egg in in Volume Three, um, and during one of the more cinematic transition moments, there's like a there's like a bulletin board with like the alternate sighting and stuff. But then on the side, you can see there's a there's a local soccer game between the Mandela Meerkats and the Brighton Bunnies, which is a reference to that. Um, but in terms of like inspirations, the the phone call, the classic phone call from volume one, two, three, four, th those were all inspired by the, the moment that you were just talking about at the end of Bunny Farm. Oh, yeah. No, if you've never... Obviously, the whole thing is fantastic. I I rec I'd recommend Bunny Farm just on its own, just because it's just a it's just a fantastic thirty minute little short film, even on its own. Very excited for Volume Four. I know he's I know per his statement he put out recently. I know he's he's taken a step back to kind of work on himself, and like Volume Four is you know going to be out sometime this year. But I I personally can't wait for it. Yeah, same. You mentioned the you mentioned the alternates before. Let let's talk about let's talk about this this threat this villain this entity you you spawned from your mind where did the idea of the alternates come from why did you even start calling them that in the first place um so this was another thing that i kind of picked up from as an inspiration from another series uh which is gemini home entertainment um which is one of my probably my second favorite um and the whole threat from that is wood crawlers which is essentially kind of like skinwalkers in a way um, just with uh, kind of a spin on that whole theme. And that was actually kind of where I got the idea for alternates. But the the way that Gemini portrays the woodcrawlers is a very physical threat, if that makes any sense. But I wanted to take that and put and make the alternates a psychological threat more than anything and completely kind of take advantage of their victims through psychological torture and stuff like that. The psychological aspect of it seems to be one of the biggest aspects of the series. And this is something interesting. Obviously, it's very interesting, actually. I wanted to bring this up. The first Mandela catalog video, I assume still, or for the last time I watched it front to back, which was pretty recently, it's one of the very few YouTube videos I know that still has that this content has some uh, shocking things in it. Please click if you're aware. I don't see videos get that anymore. And that's because very often I've begun to realize alternates never rarely do they ever directly kill somebody with their bare hands. They usually goat them into killing themselves. If I've gleamed that detail correctly, it was that do you see the alternates as above killing with their bare hands or do they do you think that they derive like some kind of sadistic pleasure from getting people to do it themselves? I kind of view it as they're kind of being kind kind of kind of like being controlled to do so by the hive mind which is Gabriel um which I just think I'm not I'm not totally sure on the on the on the motivations and stuff like that. I just think that from a, from a antagonist perspective, I think that that's can be a lot scarier, especially from people. Like, I just think that 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 can be much more effective in a lot of contexts. Sometimes the explanation isn't important, but you do need like, you do need a set parameter of rules. There needs to be some level of like, Oh, if they do this, they can do that and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. That actually brings up another question I wanted to ask. 
like how do this is just a, this is kind of just a fanboy question like if, if i was asking george lucas a question about star wars i'd probably have like 50 of those but like this is just my one little nitpicky pain in the ass fanboy question but how do the alternates travel because like it seems like they they are smart enough to hear where a person is going and meet them off at the pass and they're able to get to that location so they're clearly smart enough to know what who a person is where they're going and where they're going to be so like can alternates drive cars um i kind of like to leave that unanswered i i the only information that i like them to have like i like in a that's obvious for a viewer is just they know how to replicate how someone looks and they know how to trick people and i, I that's all i want that's all i want people to know and that's a perfectly fair thing to say, honestly. And like that again, that was just my own yeah. that was my own personal little pain in the ass question. But on the subject of the alternates, were there any ideas that you've had for the alternates as as a threat and maybe an idea for a scare, maybe an idea for their presentation that hasn't made it into that didn't make it into the main product or hasn't made it into the main product yet? Yes. Um, from the very beginning, I had this idea where I wanted to portray this, this scene of someone experiencing an alternate like intrusion into their home. Um, and you That's can so see, yeah. And, and you would be able to see kind of their camera's perspective of them trying to record the situation while also trying to hide from them. And I, I had this, I, I, I've had this idea for so long to do that where you can see the alternate, like kind of just like, there's very, short glimpses of it just walking around trying to find this person recording but you can only see little little glimpses of this thing just like morphing into this horrific thing that it doesn't even seem recognizable at all and i've just had i've had that burn into my head for a while i just haven't had the chance to kind of implement that yet but i plan to soon the best horror series often have the creator's own personal fears on display in the series are there anything are there any ideas and concepts that you've imbued within the series that scare you personally? Yes, that that's where most of my motivations came from, I think, especially with the earlier ones, because over the years of being a horror enjoyer, I suppose, um, I've always had so many ideas built up that I always want to, I always watch like a horror movie or a horror series and think, oh, it would be so much better if they did this or this. Or I would love to see a series if they implemented like X, Y, Z, whatever. And I think that at the time, the things that I was most afraid of is at its most, as most core value, just being alone in a house at night, knowing that there's something else in there, but you don't really know where they are or what their goals are, but they don't even try to physically hurt you but you always know that they are there like on the other side of your bedroom door and you are just trapped there just knowing that they're there and you can't do anything about it i think that's what my biggest fear was uh sorry about that had a little bit of a wi-fi issue i think sorry sorry about that um it was actually a perfect segue because i've seen you talking about this movie quite a bit. I've seen friend of the show, Trevor Henderson, talking about this movie quite a bit. Pretty much every horror-adjacent YouTuber and artist on Twitter that I follow has been hyping this movie near to death. Have you seen Skinamarink? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, let's... Alex, do you want to talk about Skinamarink? Yes. 
let's fucking talk about Skinnamarink. Um, for for those not in the know, and this is it's it's been gaining traction a lot the last few months ever since it started uh ever since it started hitting the festival scene. But Skinnamarink is the brainchild of a director named Kyle Edward Ball, who has a YouTube channel called Bite Size Nightmares, where he essentially crowdsourced legitimate nightmares that people remembered from their childhood and turned them into a series of three to four minute short films, eventually a 30 minute short film called Heck, and then subsequently a feature film that came out this year, thanks to the fine people at IFC Midnight and Shudder named Skinnamarink. Uh, it is minimalist in the most literal sense. And I this is a movie that is going to heavily divide people. I can say that right off the bat, because I saw it last night at the time of this recording. I saw this movie less than uh, 24 hours ago last night at the IFC Center here in New York. And I heard divisive reactions from my own friend group and from people who were leaving the theater. I heard that was spectacular. That was amazing. That was boring as fuck. That wasted my time. That was a waste of two hours. Holy fuck, I'm, I'm still shaking. So clearly a very divisive film. What did you think of it? I thought that... It was fantastic um, for m for my taste, I guess. I can absolutely see why a lot of people would not enjoy it. Um, mm. But for all of those reasons, I feel like that's kind of why I liked it so much. Um, I, I think that it's over so many years of watching horror movies. I feel like I feel like they've all just felt so dull to me. And there hasn't been a horror movie in so long that has really frightened me at all within the past few years, at least. Um, and it's so, it's so refreshing to see something so extremely new. It, it like even, even down to just not showing people. Yeah. I think that, that's my favorite aspect of it. For me personally, I had a very split reaction to this movie because when I first got out of it, I was like, wow, that really was, an hour and 40 minutes of for 90% of it be let's be real here nothing happens in this movie and let's on a cursory on a face level on a base level you are looking at static and shadowy corners for 90% of this movie and if you have like ADHD or you fidget a lot in your seat in the theater that can make for a very grating experience which again if somebody comes out of it like one of my friends did and said that was boring as shit i completely understand but at the same time I almost wouldn't change anything about it because the film is intentionally trying to drive you crazy by keeping you in this perpetual hellscape with these children for what's revealed to be 500 days, apparently. Yeah. And the for me, the most effective part of that movie, again, this is getting into spoiler. Uh, this whole thing is a spoiler thing or whatever, but like, go watch it, it'll be fine. But um, well, the part that worked for me that really freaked me out was the bit where um the demon this ghost this entity we're never quite explained what this thing is or even this if even if this is actually happening where he tells little kevin to put the knife in his eye yeah uh legit and then you just see you just hear him crying and then you just see like the blood trickle by like the kitchen counter and then you see it all over the carpet in front of the tv and that was supremely effective. So like, I give this guy a huge pat on the back for daring to do something this 
abstract and weird. And I feel like we can all take a, if you'll agree with me, I think this, I don't, it, that everybody can take a page out of this in some respect. Oh yeah. I, I have, I, I genuinely don't think I've been as enthusiastic over a film in the longest time. Like I, I've, I've already seen it. I, the first time I watched it was online before it even was officially released. And then I watched it with my mom and she actually really liked it too. Um, and me and my mom are also going to be seeing it in theaters tonight. Um, Fantastic. So I am, I am so excited. I, I'm, I'm so excited to be able to view this as a theater experience. Um, and in fact, a few days ago, like two days ago, I went to see uh, Megan in theaters, which I thought was, was, I, I actually really liked it. Um, Fantastic. It was, it was 50% to see that movie and 50% so I could see the Skin and Marink trailer on the big screen. Yeah. And it was it was so cool. It was so fun. And I'm excited to actually watch the, the entire thing tonight. It does make for an interesting theatrical experience. So definitely, here's the funny thing, whether you love it or you hate it, which I can understand both in equal measure. I think we both can, as you very eloquently put it. But like, I feel like horror as a genre is going to be better if we get more things like this that kind of go against the grain and go in these very subversive, weird directions. Even if you don't end up liking the final product, it's just, I, even if you hated this movie, I don't give a shit. I'm just thankful that this thing exists. Right, agreed. Are there any, are there any other horror releases for this year that you're uh, anticipating? Um, I don't know. I'm not really as much in the know when it comes to the general film industry stuff. I'm mostly familiar with the YouTube side of things. But I'm I'll always try to stay as up to date as I can. Are there any uh you mentioned the Walton files before, obviously. Are there any other analog horror series, ARGs, found footage, YouTube series that you're still in that are ongoing at this time that you're still into? Um I think as I mentioned before, uh Gemini Home Entertainment, that's still ongoing, but it's in the same situation as the Walton Files right now, where it's kind of gone a while without a main upload. Um but I'm I'm pretty good friends with the with the creator of that series, and he's a great guy. But I, I know that he's cooking up something really nice for that. Um, and I would say that part, that's probably the biggest one for me. Nice. Are there any series of the past that you uh, look to for inspiration that you're still a fan of that you'll go back to and watch? Um, I would say that most of Marble Hornets kind of holds up in my eyes. It does. It, it's the godfather of everything, to be honest. Yeah. I've, no, I've noticed, uh, I believe she commented, this was funny, she commented on the original tweet that I did for this interview a few days ago. Are you, are you familiar with Kay and her creation, uh, Hi, I'm Mary Mary? Yes, I am. I've, a big, obviously, Kay's a fan, a friend of the show, and obviously I've loved that series to death. Do you, have, you, have you seen it in full? Yeah, I, I've, I've watched it quite a while ago. I, I remember it very fondly. It's a solid little series. My, definitely check that out if you haven't. Incidentally, go, go check out the rest of my interviews with these guys if you haven't. Go listen to the interview I did with Kay. Go listen to the one I did with Trevor Henderson. These are all fantastic creatives that you should all be following, honestly. They're all making wonderful work, so definitely stay ab stay abrupt to whatever they're doing. My final two questions for you is, you mentioned before that like you... You're still kind of you know figuring things out about the Mandela catalog as you go, which is you know a lot of creators do. Do you have a sense of where the story is going, or do you are you kind of leaving it up in the air right now? Um, a little bit of both. I do have a pretty vague idea of what's going to be going on and kind of how I want it to end, 
but I never, I, I intentionally never try to write everything out and then do it. Cause I feel like I, I, I personally work so much better when I, I know what's going to, I know like the basic plot of an episode, but I, I still have the creative freedom to do it, like portray everything the way that I want to in the moment rather than figuring everything out first, because my mind always changes when I make videos. I, I'm always changing things up as I go, like even weeks before the upload, like there, there there's always things that I like changing up. I find that if I have, if I write an entire screenplay out first, it usually never is what the final product is. And I just, I just tend to work better that way. I, I once worked on a documentary for my own personal YouTube and I was touching that thing up and editing it up until the day. <laughs> I, I literally had to have someone physically tell me, dude, it is good enough. <laughs> stop, stop killing yourself it's like but we're perfectionists at the end of the day or at least we want we want it to be as good as we possibly can be so my final question for you is you know uh, my final question is oh here we go my final question for you is obviously uh volume four is in the rear views now that's done where it's a brand new year people are now uh anxiously anticipating volume five i would assume it's still in the you know pre-production conceptual phase is there anything you can tell us definitively about volume five, maybe a little bit what to expect without show without showing your full hand, obviously, but just give us a little taste of what's to come. I would say that the 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 way that I can describe volume five best right now is it's a return to form with a new look. That's mm -hmm. as best as I can explain it in as few words as possible. What a tease and what a way to end it. So thank you very much, sir, for being on the show. Thank you so much for giving me like a fucking hour, 20 minutes of your time. <laughs> Do this. This meant the world to me. I've been a big fan of your work for a while now. So this was a big old tick mark for 2023. Uh, aside from your, obviously, I'll put it all in the description, obviously. But is there anything you want to plug? Any, any social media, anything in particular? Um, Not really. I have my, you know, YouTube Twitter, Instagram, that's about it. If you just search up Alex Kister, it'll be there. That's really Fantastic. all, though. Fantastic. And uh, well, we've made it to the end of this, and yet I'm, I'm still alive. So I'm I'm going to assume that you're not an alternate, like I originally suspected. <laughs> I'm going to uh, maintain my suspicions on that one. But uh, hope to have you back on the show at some point in the future, hopefully when you've uh, put out another four or five volumes that we can dive into on an analytical level but uh thank you very much for being on the show again and thank you all for listening it's good to be back for the new year and thank you all for and i can't wait to i have a ton of brand new interviews planned for the upcoming year i think you're all going to love it so once again my name is benjamin falbo you can follow me on at falbo underscore benjamin on twitter follow the official spotify for it came from queens we're also on i we're also on apple podcasts and everywhere you can find podcasts there'll be a few links beneath this so till the next time guys thanks for tuning in thanks don't forget to stay weird this is ben falbo Sunny, 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 sunny.